Hello, my friends. It is so wonderful to be with you in worship today. Wonderful to be in the Word with you today. We have just started a nine-week summer sermon series. It's called Summer in the Spirit. And if you missed last week's, please go to our YouTube channel. You can check out Pastor Mike preaching on love. So we're in the second week, and uh, we are in Galatians 5.22. And Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in this beautiful fruit bowl today, we are going to be savoring joy. Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And today we are going to try to taste the joy of the Lord, the sweet taste of the best fruit, to have it roll around in us and delight ourselves in it. Well, let's start with the Greek word for joy is kara, kind of like charismatic. If you know someone named Kara, thank her parents because they named her Joy. What a great name. And as a special treat, I have invited a friend of mine, one of the most joyful people that I know, to share this sermon with me. And in just a little bit, my dear friend and sister in Christ, Peyton Hoffman, is going to join me up here, and we are going to talk more about her joy. But for now, let's get a taste of what joy is. Rick Warren defines joy in this way. Rick says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And it is the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I love the idea that joy abides in a quiet confidence The first thing that we need to know about joy is that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Joy and happiness go together, definitely, but happiness is anchored more in circumstances. If this happens, I'm happy. But if this happens, I am not happy. Happiness can be thought of as fleeting. It's it's kind of blowing around out there and we try to catch it, kind of like dandelion fluff in the wind. Sometimes we catch it and sometimes we come up empty. But joy, joy is a quiet confidence, an inner confidence. It's something that can't be caught, but more importantly, it's something that can't blow away. It's it's something that abides in us. Think of it more as who than what. Who has caught me? As I'm blowing around out there, who has caught me in their joy? Who is holding me in the palms of their hands and inviting me into the joy that is in them? Jenny Howell, one of the creators of something called the Kara Project, and the Kara Project is a women's devotional Bible study that's dedicated to finding joy in the Word of God. How awesome is that? So Jenny Howell says, Kara, joy, is used to describe ones who rejoice, ones who are glad, who have received joy. The best news, she says, 
is that this joy is not about things we will do to attain it. Rather, it is all about what God has done to maintain it. In this light, even the faithful effort that we take to make a determined choice to praise God in every situation can become difficult sometimes. I mean, let's get honest, really. Is there anyone out there today who is just having trouble making a determined choice to be joyful today? It's okay to say yes. That's what church is for. Finding a safe place to say, yeah, that's me today. Anyone who is depressed or overwhelmed or stressed or afraid? I mean, we are in a world right now that is plagued with disease and drought and war and random acts of violence that are perpetrated upon innocent people. We have reasons to not just be walking around doing cartwheels. Is there anyone out there who is resisting right now the idea that if we're here in church, in worship, that we are supposed to be joyful? Is there anyone out there right now who is maybe feeling a little bit angry or resentful? I'm asking because I know I have. I have had times that I've walked into worship. I've walked into worship downcast, brokenhearted, fragile, weary, and I've just needed tenderness. And all of a sudden, I'm finding myself feeling guilty because they're preaching on joy. All of a sudden, I feel bad that I don't feel joyful, and there is something in me that pushes away from worship when I most need to enter in. You see, I don't want to have to slap a happy face on and shout hallelujah just because I'm in church. I want to be real and authentic before God. And God wants nothing more than that. Friends, I've got some good news for you. Joy is not an obligation. A happy mask is not part of a standard issue uniform to dress your Christianity in. Joy is not on God's checklist of what he expects out of you. Rather, joy is in the gift basket that God gives you. It's in the incredible edible arrangement that God sends to you and it's still fresh and the chocolate hasn't even melted. How does that happen? That's what God is sending us. Joy is the authentic ability to plug into what is in God, knowing that God lives in us. In the revelation of the nature of God shown to us in Jesus, we know that God grieves. We know that God gets angry. Through the cross, we know that God suffers. And also, through Jesus, we know that God dwells in delight. A pastor named Adam Powers wrote an article called Delight Among the Trinity, in this, he describes the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he writes, The Spirit 
is the very love and delight which the Father and the Son have in each other. This love that flows between the Father and the Son is deep and infinite and wonderful and exuberant. Jesus himself speaks of this love when he mentions the glory the Father gave him because he loved him. The Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. John 17, 24. This love flowing back and forth between the Father and the Son is so substantial that it stands out on its own as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That love then bursts out of the fellowship of the Father and the Son and pours over onto us. Long before Adam wrote this article, Jonathan Edwards captured the same essence of the Trinity, saying, the deity becomes all act. The divine essence flows out and is, as it were, breathed forth in love and joy. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is the opening of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Somehow I just find myself reciting this to myself It it, it grounds me in God. It grounds me in the reality of Jesus and, and of who I am in Jesus in the beginning. It's just so beautiful and poetic. And as I was prepping myself for this sermon, as I was praying, I felt like the Spirit whispered to me, in the beginning was joy. And the joy was with God and the joy was God. In the same joy, the joy that is God, it exists without us. We have to remember that we're not the center of the universe. This joy exists without us. It would exist even if the world had never been created. The joy is in the Godhead, and the joy is the nature of God. We are invited to plug into this unending source of deep, confident joy. We are invited to join in the joy of God's party. So I have good news, great news. Joy isn't about mustering something in ourselves or catching hold of something outside of ourselves. It's about giving ourselves to the life of God abiding in us, promised to live in us through the Holy Spirit. So why does joy sometimes feel so hard to find? Well, we need to look at this list of attributes here, going to this scripture verse here in Galatians 5.22. The verse reads, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we have a linguistic habit of wanting to read this as the fruits of the Spirit are all these things. We see a list of these many things, and we want to make the object agree with the verb. For example, if I were to say my favorite sport is football, basketball, tennis, and lawn darts, you'd want to correct my grammar. You'd say, no, that's, that's not correct grammar. Your favorite sports are. 
football, basketball, tennis, and lawn darts. You see, we want the subjects and the verbs and the objects to agree with each other. And yet, if I were to say, Kim Dortilly is blonde, blue-eyed, five foot five, and weighs, it's none of your business. This is correct grammar because all of these things are many attributes of one person. When we get to this passage in Galatians, we tend to want to read it backwards. We hear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and we tend to think of these attributes in relationship to ourselves, don't we? I mean, we are the center of our universe, aren't we? We assess whether or not we manifest these attributes and to what degree. How are we doing in our Christianity? We are naturally inclined to hear this list and rate ourselves. Oh, I'm good in kindness, but not so much in patience. And I've actually got Rebecca Morgan's permission to share this with you. Rebecca and I have talked about this list of attributes, and Rebecca and I have said and agreed about each other and ourselves that we're not very good in gentleness. I mean, we're big, brassy, bold, in-your-face kind of women, and we have both said if we were going to work on one fruit of the Spirit, just one in this list, we would both want to work in growing in gentleness. We want to hold ourselves accountable to growing in gentleness. But there's a problem with this. If we did this, if Rebecca and I worked the rest of our lives to produce gentleness in our lives, that would be the fruit of Kim or the fruit of Rebecca. You see, that is not what this passage says, and it's not what this passage is about. This passage says these are the fruit, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not our fruits. That's why we want to jumble these up. The Spirit is one, just as God is one. And these these attributes reside in the one Spirit flowing out of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. When we plug ourselves into the reality of the Spirit of God living in each of us, we can exhibit these attributes as revelatory of God's nature, not our nature. God wants to demonstrate to the world the fullness of life in Jesus Christ through us. Christ ignited in us and sustained in us by the Holy Spirit. Not the best of what we can be out of our human nature, but revelatory of who God is out of God's nature living in us. Joy is part of our inheritance as the children of God. It's what God has willed to us. Joy is awakening to the awareness that we are already loved. Joy is embracing an unearned grace that has already been breathed out, poured out over us. We can't do anything more to be more joyful. Alexander McLaren, who is a Scottish minister in the late 19th century, wrote, Joy is not so much an act or a grace of character as an emotion poured into human lives because in their hearts abides love to God 
Jesus Christ pledged himself to impart his joy to remain in us with the issue that our joy would be full. There is only one source of permanent joy which takes possession of and fills all the corners and crannies of the heart, and that is a love towards God equally and all-pervasive. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. Now, some of us may still be waiting to feel what inexpressible joy feels like. And that's okay. God has an inexhaustible supply of joy. And God will never falter in moving toward all of us with his will that we receive his joy. In the foreword to his book, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller writes, and I just love this, Donald Miller writes, sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they are showing us the way. And Donald Miller says that's how it was for him learning to love God. Today, I have asked someone to partner with me in this sermon. This is someone who I and many others here at Bel Air Church receive and watch love God. We can watch her love God, and we see her with an inexhaustible source of joy. And you know her if you've met her. This is Peyton Hoffman. And so right now, I am going to ask Peyton to join me and show us the way of how she loves God and lives into his joy. Come on up, Peyton. Peyton, I could not be more grateful that you said yes when I asked you if you would come and share with us this sense of the joy of the Lord with us. I introduced you as being someone who, when you're here on campus or when you're anywhere, you have a joy that pours out of you. And, and it's a sort of invitational joy. It, it, I feel, whenever I'm with you, I feel like I want to join you in your joy. It's, it's not your joy that's over here. It's like it's just spilling out of you, oh and I can God. feel swept up into it. And I feel joyful for absolutely no reason other than that <laughs> I'm in your presence. And that's a gift that you give that I don't even know that you know that you're giving it. And uh, if I haven't introduced Peyton, this is Peyton Hoffman. <laughs> and... Uh, Bel Air attender and just a dear, dear friend and sister in Christ. And so, Peyton, with that, I'm wondering if you experience joy as invitational, God's invitation mm. to you. Wow, that's so good. And thank you for having me. I mean, my gosh, this is amazing. I, you know, I do. I, I've never thought about the joy in me as coming out into others, but I do absolutely feel invited into the joy of the Lord. And I feel, I want that for others. I, you know, we partner with each other in our sorrows and our grief. Why don't we partner in our joy? I mean, I want everyone to know the joy of the Lord because it just, it can spill out of you. I mean, it's all the Holy Spirit. It's not me. And it's all walking with the Lord in relationship every day and watching 
the Holy Spirit change things mm -hmm. in my life and in my world. And I, I just want everyone to know that power and that amazing strength that comes only from the Lord, no matter what's going on around you. And absolutely, I, I feel the Lord inviting me into that, uh, sometimes more directly than others. I can be prayer walking and all of a sudden just feel so wrapped in love mm -hmm. to the point that it just makes me giddy and joyful. And that's, that's the Lord. I mean, that's not me and I'm not necessarily even looking for it. Um, but there are, there are tangible examples. I remember be, going with Bel Air pre-pandemic to South Africa on a missions trip and walking into an AIDS clinic where we were ministering to men and women in that clinic and walking up to this woman who was by herself and introducing myself. And she started uh, doing sign language, signing to me. And I don't know sign language, but all of a sudden I found myself signing back to her. And she understood me and I understood her and there was no reason for us to understand each other. And I realized in that moment, the Lord was inviting me to partner in the joy he had for her. I mean, he brought me thousands of miles around the world so that she would know how loved she was. I mean, I have no doubt in my heart that that was it. And it was my joy to come into her joy and to see her realize how loved she is and how much the Lord has for her. And I, I want that for everyone. I love that. I love uh, that the joy wasn't something that was for you, that the joy was that you were, you were in the middle of God ministering to that woman. Uh, that's beautiful. You wrote a book. You wrote a book, I know, book, it's crazy. This is so amazing. <laughs> and I want to make sure that everyone can see this. This is called Fighting for Joy in the In-Between. And it's out now. It's freshly uh, on the market. And any place that you want to buy a book, you can find yeah. Peyton Hoffman's book. And I just wanted to read a little bit of your introduction sure, related sure. to us talking about joy. And in your introduction, you say, and you're talking to... Um, uh, about the in-between, mm -hmm. spaces in-between. So you say, in additions to lessons that I believe can only be learned in the in-between, there are also battles that must be won. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest battles we face in this season is the fight for joy. Yeah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that it would be one of the greatest things that the enemy comes after. Mm -hmm. By making us joyless, we become weak. When we become weak, we become taken by despair, weariness, exhaustion, mm -hmm. or doubt. We lose sight of why the in-between season was created and instead get wrapped up in fighting the same fights over yeah. and over. Wow. The same mountains. Yes. And so I want you you use the verse from Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm -hmm. And I want to come back to that and ask you, how have you experienced the joy of the Lord being mm. your strength. It, you know, the first thing I think of when I think of the joy of the Lord is lifeline. I mean, honestly, it, it is our lifeline, especially in the in-between places. And, you know, we, we read the Bible and we hear, okay, the Lord's taking us from glory to glory, from strength to strength, but it's the from and to that we get stuck in. Yes. And that is where the battles are fought. And we, we live in a world that is strategically positioned to attack our joy. I mean, just look at the events that are going on around us and it's easy to fall into that place where we forget that we have this weapon of joy 
that's from the Lord and it's given to us to overcome these things that we're walking through. And there's, there's joy in the in-between. There's that preparation time has a purpose. It's not wasted time and it's not pointless. It's, it is time that the Lord brings us into specifically to prepare us for the next thing. And if we don't let the Lord do that, we won't get to the next thing. I mean, that's as simple as that, we won't be ready. Right. So there is joy even in that in-between place where we're not where we used to be, but we're not yet where we know we're going. Mm. You know, that is soaking. That's where we come to know the nature of the Lord so closely and so strategically in our lives. And we see, you know, him moving the chess pieces around in our life and positioning it for a wonderful victory that's going to be on the other side of this. Yeah. There's so much theology that's out there. Um, the in-between um, is called liminal space. And, and so when I'm like, what is liminal space? Like, yeah. like, what is that? And, you know, it's described as a threshold. Yeah. It's that you're going from this room to that room. And that threshold is liminal space. As, and, and so when you're identifying that as the place mm. that we're most subject to trip, Mm-hmm. It's so important to, mm-hmm. to keep our eyes on what we're moving toward. And oh that there's gosh, an intentionality yeah. in that and not a lostness. No, no. I'm so glad you mentioned liminal space. It, it makes me crack up because the Lord gave me a, a dream, a vision of the front art of the book. And it was very specific. No door because Jesus is the door you know, the open threshold, the sunrise in the forest. And I remember working through that with the designer and saying, no, 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 this is how it has to look, but not really knowing why that was the specific vision. And now to hear you talk about liminal space and the threshold, it's like the Lord gave me the vision for the book in the in-between of the liminal space that I didn't even know about, which is amazing. And just, it's incredible to see how God's working in that already. (laughs) But so often, um, People can see someone that they don't know and see that person enjoy, mm. and they think, well, that person has never experienced suffering or pain. Mm. And I want to ask you uh, if you're able to share just a little bit of your story yeah. that can dispel that, mis- that misunderstanding about you. Yeah, oh gosh, there's, I mean, there's so much. I, I will say I grew up in the church, uh, going to church, um, but didn't come home and read the Bible at night, didn't grow up with my own understanding of the Lord as my personal savior and my Lord. And then when I was 15, I was uh, babysitting for this family and someone that worked for them took advantage of me. And I remember having this thought that I cannot have anything to do with a God who cannot or will not protect me. And I turned my back on God in that moment at 15. And it took me almost as many years to come back to the Lord And I remember very, I mean, like it was yesterday, being in the car with my dad, actually, and he was driving and he started to tell me a story about some gossip that he'd heard in in town. And as he started speaking, I realized he was telling me about the sin of my own life that he had no way of knowing about. And in that moment, I had two thoughts. I remember thinking, God might be real. And immediately after that, if God is real, I am in really big trouble. And it was a couple nights later that I was driving and I 
pulled my car over on the side of the road and I just literally threw my hands up and sobbed and said, Lord, if you're real and if you hear me and if you have time, I need you to change things. I can't do this and I don't have the strength to get out of this situation. I don't have the strength to walk away. I need you to physically remove this person from my life. And the Lord did. Three weeks later, that person was gone. And that was the turning point for me of, I just said, God, I need you to show up and be God. I need you to show up and be big and do something massive in my life. And the Lord has done that ever since. I mean, he's brought me to California. I've moved into homes that the Lord has provided. I have, he's pulled me out of jobs that were not positioning so that he could bring me into the correct position that he had for me and bless me even more. I mean, financial blessing, um, work, friends. He's then brought me other women in my life that I've sat down and shared part of my story with. And they'll say over and over again, oh my gosh, I went through the same thing. And that's the joy. That's the joy is when you see every single thing of your life redeemed and restored for someone else so that you can start to be the, the way that the Lord ushers in healing for them through you. I mean, it's amazing. And I sit here at Bel Air and there's people in the congregation that have their broken places have been the starting points for my healing and my joy. And I look at that all as they're like cracked open windows where the light comes in. You know, it's all used by God mightily if we'll let him use it. And I think that's the, it's so, to see that redemptive work over and over in every area of my life, physical healing from epilepsy that I was born with and was healed at 41. So that's 31 years that I didn't have healing, 31 years. Why the Lord didn't heal me at 10 when I was diagnosed, I don't know. But I do know that in my 20s and even in my early 30s, that was a protection over my life. So having epilepsy, being on medication, knowing there was a limit actually protected my life. And it was like the Lord at 41 just said, you don't need this anymore. And, and, and it was, it's amazing. And it's, I can't control that. That's your brain waves. I, I have, there's nothing I can do to make myself healthier and heal myself on that. That is all God. Wow. It's there's so much that spills out of you. And as you talk about God, there it is, of being invited mm-hmm. into the joy and, and, and this possibility mm. of joy for all of us yeah. because that's what God wants for us. That's, you know, as I said, our inheritance mm-hmm. is an inheritance of joy and not of mourning and weeping. Mm-hmm. Um, Peyton, you're a single woman. God only knows why. But, <laughs> um, but there is joy in your waiting, yeah. and there's joy in your longing. Yes. And how do you do that? How do you hold mm-hmm. on to your joy in the longing? Oh, man, that's so good. It's, you know, let me answer the joy in the waiting first because that's an easier answer. And I will say that for me personally, I look back and the woman I was at 22 and the woman I was at 32 would have attracted and partnered up with a man who is not at all what I needed at 42. So I look back and I'm thankful that I didn't get married then because honestly, I wasn't the woman I needed to be. I hadn't developed my walk with the Lord to be 
the woman that he was creating me to be. You know, I was so far, of course. So it's who I am now requires a different person than it did then. So I'm, that was 100% of protection. I have no doubt about that. And then I also know that my life is not going to end single. I know that there is a, a huge calling, and I'd say this for everyone, it's, there's a huge calling on our lives. And there are some things we are meant to accomplish together. And so in that, I, I just pray, Lord, you know, I want your best for me. And I want your best in everything. I want it in my work. I want it in writing. I want it in my friendships, my relationships. I want, genuinely want God's best. And if it's not God's best, I don't want it. I I don't because it's not going to be the thing that is going to be enough. And it's not going to be the thing that, that is able to help me bring joy to others and, and part of it is this longing, specifically for women who are single, women or men who are single, the longing for marriage, for me, is something I had to put my Isaac on the altar. I had to come to a place where I wanted the Lord and his presence and his power and his love more than I wanted this one specific promise. And that's a really hard, hard thing to do. But when you go up on that mountain and you put whatever your Isaac is, whether it's a business, a person, when you put that on the altar, you come down the mountain different. Mm -hmm. And you, I just have faith. I know that God's going to do it. And I don't have to worry about how or when or who. I, I just know that there's... There's been so much preparation I've needed. I believe there's preparation my future husband has needed in this time. And yeah, I'm just excited for it. And I know God's going to do it because he's shown up everywhere else in my life. Why would he not be faithful here? Exactly. Why would he stop now? Yeah. So Peyton, thank you. Thank you. Thank you you for being part of our faith community. Thank you for sharing yourself with Mm -hmm. us. And Peyton, I would love it if you could close us. Oh, I would love to. A prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Father God, thank you so much for uh, this time, this day, this this season, Lord, where we're focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are joy, that it is for the joy set before you that you went to the cross and you died for us, that we are your joy. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all that you are, all that you're doing. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just place your hand of blessing, your hand of love, and your hand of joy. Holy Spirit, would you fill the hearts and the minds of all of those that are watching today? Would you just surround them with your favors with a shield, fill them up with your joy to overflowing, Lord. May it bubble out into the communities, into the lives of those around them, that those they see and touch, Lord. Would we know even more than we think we know how real your joy is and how much it is our strength, Lord. Thank you, God, that you've given us this weapon with which to defeat the enemy. Thank you, Lord, that we can walk in your strength every single day of our life as we walk in your joy. Lord, I just give this rest of the season up to you, Lord. I give this week everything that you have for us, Lord. Lead us by your joy and your peace and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. This is amazing.